Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This podcast is brought to you by NerdWallet. Are you paying for your me time with just any credit card in your wallet? While you shouldn't stop treating yourself, you should start paying with a credit card that has perks. NerdWallet lets you compare top travel credit cards side by side to maximize your spending, some even offering 10 times points on your spending. So what could future you do with better rewards? A free flight? Room upgrades? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and term supply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Hi, Brian. Hi, Katie. Brian, the top website in the U.S. is Google. Number two is YouTube. Do you know what number three is? Well, if you'd asked me up until recently, I would have said maybe Facebook or Amazon. (laughs) You know, you would have been wrong because it turns out, according to the most recent data, the number three website in America is actually Reddit, which I think we were both pretty surprised to hear. Yeah, and that brings us to our guest today, Reddit CEO and one of its co-founders, Steve Huffman. We taped this podcast in front of a live audience at the wonderful Aspen Ideas Festival. I love this festival. I've come every year, I think, for the past decade. So clearly, it's one of my favorites. Now, many, if not most, of the people who use Reddit are in their teens and 20s. So for my peers and others who may not be that familiar with it, let me get you up to speed. Reddit is a site that's made up of lots of different communities called subreddits, where people can post articles, videos, thoughts, the sky's the limit, really. And there are actually over a million subreddits devoted to everything from world news to crafts to life hacks. Like, how do you get abs like Brian Goldsmith? And the answer <laughs> is, it's very hard. <laughs> very funny. The site actually has a remarkably simple interface, almost dated, really. And I was very excited to talk to Steve, Reddit CEO, because the site has found itself in the crosshairs of some very thorny issues these days. So we spoke with Steve about everything from fake news to Russian bots to Pizzagate to hate speech. And we started by asking, how would he describe Reddit? Even at Reddit, this is something we debate a lot of what Reddit is and how to explain Reddit to folks. But effectively, Reddit is a network of communities. And so we have communities that cover pretty much any topic imaginable. So things that that are are very recognizable, so news, sports, politics, um, pretty much any interest and passion. What's the weirdest community? uh, Birds with Arms is, uh, would be up there. Okay. Um, Birds with Arms is a community where one photoshops uh, arms on the birds. Um, No, this is, this is important stuff. I'm glad you're here. Um, And then we also have communities, um, uh, excuse me, I uh, cleaned myself this morning, I have a hairball. Um, um, Communities uh, uh, dedicated to uh, support and helping each other out. So communities for for new parents who are maybe struggling with that, or communities for people who are struggling with addiction or or other difficult times in their life. And so really any topic around, uh, you know, things that humans will gather around and communicate around is represented on Reddit somewhere. And so... Um, our mission at Reddit is to bring uh, community and a sense of belonging to everybody on the planet. So since people in this room, no offense to you all, uh, may not be Reddit's demographic, who is Reddit's demographic, and why do you think it caught fire so quickly at the outset? Sure. So uh, 
you all are, are maybe not our primary demographic, <laughs> but um, we, we, Reddit is broad enough now that, that pretty much everybody is represented on Reddit somewhere. So I guarantee all of you have a home on Reddit somewhere. The way Reddit's grown, our origin, so we're 13 years old. Uh, we started in 2005, my college roommate and I started Reddit um, immediately after we graduated. And at the time, Reddit was just a, a pile of links. No categorization, no communities, no, no commenting even. And what, what made Reddit work then, it was, very, it was very serendipitous. And the reason we grew is because both there's that serendipity, you never knew what you were going to find. You're going to find some politics, are you going to find an internet meme, are you going to find commentary critical of, of, of Reddit or something else. And it was very genuine and authentic. And it, we resonated with, I think, I think, a generation of people who had just become kind of skeptical and jaded of, of, of everything, right? Of, of all media, of, of, of news, of anything. It's just like, this feeling of like, everything is bullshit. I'm always being lied to. And so we still have that aspect to Reddit. And so we still um, pick up users in high school and college. I think when, when young adults are turning into adults and they're starting to develop kind of worldviews and, and, and skepticism and critical thinking, Reddit is a great place for them. Uh, but then we tend to keep them. You know, and, and, and so we're 13 years old now. So I would say our, our median age is probably, you know, let's call it 22, 23, but our average age is increasing over time. So people who want kind of an outlet to express their views and to share it with other people are attracted to Reddit. But like all other social platforms, you all have been going through your fair share of controversy. And we're going to talk about some of the challenges that you all have faced as a platform in a moment. But first, we want to talk about how this whole thing began. You started Reddit. Uh, you and your college roommate founded the company just a few weeks after graduating from the University of Virginia back in 2005. So how did you come up with the idea? Well, uh, almost accidentally, uh, my roommate Alexis Ohanian and I, we, we had been uh, roommates and housemates all through college. And on our last year of college, we started talking about companies that we might start together. And at, at the same time, uh, an idol of mine, this fellow Paul Graham, who he started a, a company of his own that sold during the bubble, and, and he would write online evangelizing startups and, and, and his whole journey. And, and he eventually founded Y Combinator. And he, so he started Y Combinator, which at the time was a kind of a ragtag group of in, in investors and is now the largest seed stage investment firm in the world. They do about 400 companies a year. Back in 2005, uh, we applied to YC uh, with a completely different idea. Uh, it had to do with ordering food from, from your cell phone. We were wisely rejected. Um, this, this was this predated what? Pre-iPhone. Uh, iPhones. Yes, yeah. yeah. It was an idea actually ahead of its time. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but Paul and, and his partner Jessica basically reached out to us and said, we really like you two. If you want to be in this program, let's find something else for you to do. So we had a brainstorming session. And in that session, we basically decided we were going to build, uh, I have this on my first page of notes, we were going to build the front page of the internet. And that's something we used to say tongue in cheek back then. Um, and now we say it, um, I think, somewhat, somewhat proudly now. Um, but that was really the genesis of the idea. And, and our motivation in those, those first months was, I didn't want to look stupid in front of Paul Graham. And I didn't want my mom to be right. Because she wanted me to get a real job, and I was going up to, to Boston to work with this weirdo Paul on this, on this Reddit thing. Fun fact, by the way, we like to sprinkle our podcast with these. Your co-founder, Alexis, who you just mentioned, is now married to Serena Williams. That's that, pretty cool. That is a fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Do you and your wife ever double date with them? Uh, I am no longer married. Oh, um, well, that, do you ever go out as a threesome? <laughs> <coughs> Let's not misinterpret that question, by the way. Okay, uh, do you ever tag along? Uh, Are you ever the third wheel? Uh, no, very, very seldomly. Um, Alexis and Serena, I have honestly no idea where in the world they are at any point in time. But you're still good friends with Alexis, yes, yeah? Yes, we've been friends a long time. Yeah. Well, let's talk about after you launched the company, because it was 17 months later, and you sold it to Condé Nast, mm -hmm. of all places. You have said that you regretted that decision. Why? Well, I have said that, and I've also backtracked off of that. I've, in fact, changed my story on this a lot over the years, you know, as it serves me. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really engendering trust there, Steve. Uh, mostly with perspective. So the context in which we sold the company, this was in 2006, 
Uh, as I mentioned, when we started the company, we didn't have a, a vision or, or a mission. We were a little dysfunctional. We didn't know where we were going. The economy wasn't looking pretty on the horizon. And along came Condé Nast, uh, offering to give us a bunch of money for this thing. And so we said, well, this seems like a pretty good idea. And, and, and it's funny, I, I went into that acquisition with the mentality of, I, I thought I was going to have the, the stereotypical Silicon Valley startup journey, which is founder starts company, founder sells company, founder leaves two weeks later. I ended up staying uh, for another three years. I really, really enjoyed working on Reddit. And I left uh, in 2009 because, uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I, I felt stagnant. Um, I felt like as a person I wasn't learning and growing, and I felt like I was too young uh, to, to have that feeling at work. And it's funny, when I look back on that time, I think that's like just absolutely insane, right? Because now I just feel like I have so much to learn and I'm like so far behind. But at the time, that's how I felt. I also, uh, uh, I lacked perspective. I didn't realize, I didn't appreciate how special Reddit was. It was the only thing we had ever done. And, and, I, and, I, and so I had this perspective that if you put something online, it'll just grow. And, and, and that was my experience with Reddit. So I was like, well, I want to do something else that just grows, but this time actually makes money. So I started a company with another buddy called Hitmonk, which did travel search. And uh, Hitmonk was interesting because we were not burdened with growth. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so that was a, 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 a really good set of lessons I learned there in that time. And actually, as, 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 a, as a business person, learned a lot of really important lessons about how to be disciplined about customers and product development and, and growing a team and shrinking a team. And at the same time, Reddit continued to grow and grow and grow. And during this period, when you were off working on Hipmunk, Reddit was still growing. It hired Ellen Powell to be the CEO. And she was famous, of course, for suing Kleiner Perkins, the venture firm for gender discrimination. And when Powell got to Reddit, she took a number of tough, tough steps. She banned revenge porn, for mm -hmm. example. She banned five subreddits that engaged in various forms of harassment. About 200,000 users signed a petition asking her to leave, which ultimately she did. With the benefit of hindsight, do you think that she was treated unfairly at Reddit? I do. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I think Ellen had a, a rough go at Reddit, um, some within her control and, and some not. And, but I think that the general um, criticisms of, of, of Ellen, both from the Reddit community and from the kind of just greater community, were really unfair. Um, having been on the receiving end of that myself as well, I, I, I know what that feels like. Um, Do you think the and, criticisms were motivated by gender? Uh, I think there was that dimension to it. And certainly I think when you also look at it through the lens of her very public lawsuit against Kleiner, uh, that, that only served to amplify that, that narrative. And I think that was really unfortunate. In um, light of the Me Too movement, do you look at what happened to her any differently? Have you had an epiphany or did you always feel that this was unfair? <laughs> No, I always felt that way. You know, and it's funny because uh, when, when she was going through that, I was not at Reddit. I, I was, I was a, a civilian. I was a, a user watching this. And it was very frustrating to watch from a couple of dimensions, right? One, as somebody who knows Reddit really well, I was like, oh my gosh, there are things I, you just need to do that I think you can get ahead of this. Because one of the things we, we, we saw is, or, or at least I observed from the outside, and, and I think Ellen was starting to get there. It's the the volume of the, the, the vitriol was not in proportion to the number of people behind it. And that, to me, is a technology problem. And that's something at Reddit we've always thought a lot about, and this is something that I've always thought a lot about. So watching that was particularly frustrating, because I was like, there are some solutions here. At the same time, it, it was the, that whole conversation was just, I think, very unproductive and toxic. And, and I, don't, I don't know if we really got anywhere with it, to be honest, either. Silicon Valley, as you know, has an abysmal record on gender and racial equality. So, you know, having done this company, what's, what kinds of things can be put in place that will change that or improve it? Yeah, I, I would say you're, you're not wrong, on, on, I think, on the history of Silicon Valley. Uh, on the, the, the silver lining, however, is that it is impossible to have a conversation in Silicon Valley where this topic does not come up. Um, and and I, th I think uh, we, and I, I say we as somebody you know, from, from that area, are very aware of this issue. And I think that's probably one of the most important steps to take. And so um, I think we are trending in the right direction, but I think we also have a long way to go. So do you think real policy initiatives will follow that greater awareness now? 
it depends what you mean by policy initiatives. And, and if we're talking about, a, 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 I think, a massive problem like gender uh, equality, it's going to take probably policy changes, just awareness changes, cultural changes. There's a generational aspect to it as well. There's a lot of things that have to happen, and you know, regulation is 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 a one part of that. So in 2015, six years after you left, you came back to Reddit as the CEO, and you were soon confronted by a number of controversies. And I want to talk about a couple of them. The first was Pizzagate. And I don't know whether you all are familiar with this crazy and false story, but it started on Facebook and Twitter in October of 2016. Um, the allegation basically was that Hillary and some people close to her operated a child sex trafficking ring out of a pizza parlor called Comet Pizza in DC, which would be laughable, um, except that the sort of fake news had real consequences when a man named Edgar Welch from North Carolina showed up at Comet with an AR-15 to rescue the kids, the sex slaves who were trapped in the basement, only to find that there were no kids and no basement. Um, and this was on Reddit too, both before and after the election. So the bottom line is it could have been a real tragedy. Do you ever feel like, as the founder of this platform, as the CEO of this platform, oh my God, I, I created a monster? No, not quite in that dimension. You know, Pizzagate was a community that, that uh, we saw develop on Reddit, and we banned it after about two weeks, um, long before the, the, the incident with the, the, the gentleman in the, in the pizza parlor. Um, and we do watch these things very closely, because while uh, I don't think we want to be in a position where we say conspiracy theories are not allowed, right? Because sometimes conspiracy theories end up being something. Um, but we do watch, especially in these fringe communities, um, where, is the, where is the conversation going? What direction is it heading? And with that one in particular, we saw it going in a bad place, and it was also easily disproven. And so that's why we got rid of them as quickly as we did. And I think we were one of the first to do so. But could something like this happen again on Reddit? You know, obviously, the human awareness of this is not infallible. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you worry that this kind of situation, this kind of misinformation can get out of control and lead to something that may have far worse consequences? I do think this sort of thing can happen in any place where people congregate. And misinformation is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a real threat and it's a, it's a real thing that we all face uh, on Reddit and, and anywhere else online, you know, or offline for that matter. And, you know, I think one of the, you know, we will do our, our, our best to do our part in it, but I also think there is a, a collective burden we all have as a, as a people to be skeptical uh, and to push back on these stories um, because, you know, as, as, a, as a private company or even an individual, we're not always going to know all of the facts or be able to see everything. So we will do our best on our platform. And, and in fact, we have a number of teams dedicated to this, you know, in our trust and safety team and our anti-evil team, which is, our trust and safety team is a team of people that enforce our content policies. Um, and, and, and in these communities, whether the conspiracy theory or generally badly behaving, they generally violate all of our policies. And so, so our policies for context are no harassing or bullying, no involuntary sexualization of, of minors or, or adults, uh, no spam, no inciting or glorifying violence. <clears throat> and so we look at these things very closely and, and pretty, pretty consistently. And then we also have another team called the Anti-Evil Team, which is a team of engineers uh, that supports the former team at scale and tries to do this in an automated fashion. Um, but the operative word being try. I mean, how can you really police all the things that are part of Reddit? When I, I, how many posts are put up there a day, Steve? I have no idea how many. Uh, millions. Millions yeah. Yeah. and millions. So can you really patrol and keep this kind of misinformation, even worse, off the platform? Well, so another thing that's, that's really important to us, and I think that separates Reddit from our peers, is our structure of community moderation. So all of our communities are created by moderators. And those are, those are not employees of Reddit, they're just users like anybody else. And their job is to set the rules and standards for their community and enforce those standards. And of course, uh, the communities themselves are submitting all of the content and curating the content. So every, every, the structure of Reddit is basically, there are uh, over 100,000 communities. Uh, within those communities, 
uh, community members, users, you know, me, you, anybody, uh, can submit content. And then and every piece of content can be voted up or down. And so what you see is, is what is the most popular at any point in time, but the downvote is also important. Right? In, in there, that's where the community uh, sets the tone, removes content that's inappropriate. And one of, one of our beliefs is that the only thing that scales with users is users. And so uh, one of the things we spend a lot, a lot of time thinking about is how do we uh, push this burden of enforcement into our user base so that they have control over this? Because there is no way that um, a company of our size, which is uh, around 400 people, or any size for that matter, can police the entire internet. Um, however, I do think as a, as a, as a people, uh, whether we're talking about our community or if we were to kind of take this, these challenges up a notch and just talk about our society in general, as a people, we can do that. And, and, and is I think, all of our burden to, uh, to police ourselves in that matter. In we fact, you wrote, you, wrote, you wrote a letter to users and you said, I believe the biggest risk we face is our own ability to discern reality from nonsense. And this is a burden we all bear. But isn't that a bit of a cop-out, basically saying this is the user's responsibility primarily? Uh, I, th I think if you were to interpret that as this is only the user's responsibility, that would be a cop-out. Um, I think we all have roles to play here. At Reddit, the thing that I think we are the most effective at is building the tools and providing the framework for doing these things at scale. And of course, something that we were talking about earlier, which is very much a technology problem, which is ensuring that the, the volume of any particular viewpoint on Reddit uh, whether it's positive or negative, true or false, is in proportion to the number of people who are saying it. Um, you know, to not let our, our systems be abused by bots or what we call vote manipulation, people you know, trying to steer the conversation in the wrong way. That's something that we spend quite a bit of time thinking about. Because I, I think we should keep in mind the, 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 the scale at which we're talking about, which is, um, if, if I were to paint with a, a broad brush, I would say about, uh, Reddit mirrors humanity, and about 99% of, of our communities and users are wonderful, creative, collaborative, you know, interesting people. And I would say the same thing about just people in general. And 1% are, are nasty, and they're up to no good. And that means if we do our job on the, on the technology side in, in, in enforcing that that 99% can set appropriate standards and has visibility into what's going on, we can, we can drown out the negative, uh, you know, marginalize the negative, and, and, and do it that way. When it comes to dealing with that nasty 1%, I'm trying to understand how much of that content is dealt with by non-Reddit employees, community managers who are enforcing the standards, and how much of it really is on you, and how much of it do you have to actively go and take down? So, for example, the year you came back, I read that you had to remove two subreddits. One was called Fat People Hate. The other was called Coontown, which were, by the way, as repugnant as they sound. And then the hate speech, you know, sub-communities went down. And, and overall, hate speech went down on the platform because participants in those communities either left the site or they changed their language. But it wasn't the moderators or the uh, non-employees who did it. It was you guys who had to do it. Yes and no. So those communities were repugnant, and, 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 and we took them down. <clears throat> we also did behind the scenes a lot of work on the individuals in those communities. Um, one, one of the things we've gotten a lot better at over the years is, is um, how proactive we are. So at, during that era, so this is uh, 2015, we were 100% reactive in terms of individuals report. So something bad is happening on Reddit, a user reports it, then we action it. Now we are, gosh, I, I don't know the exact number off the top of my head. I want to say it's somewhere between 70 and 80% proactive, which means we are finding uh, instances of bad behavior before it even gets reported. How do you do that? Yeah. Is, it, is it like playing a game of whack-a-mole or, or do you have like software or algorithms that can detect? Yes. Yes, to it's, both. Yes. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it's, there, there is an element of an arms race. There's an element of whack-a-mole. Um, there's an element of, of, of being clever with, with how we find things. Um, again, as I was saying before, we're talking about a relatively small population of users. And even in those communities, um, well, the, the names are deliberately offensive. And their motivation was, in, in many respects, to draw attention, to waste our time, to troll us. Um, and it was, it was more organized than or, organic. And that behavior stands out. 
Like we, we can detect that with computers. Um, and, and, and so when we remove those communities, yes, the, the general tone of Reddit got better, but I would also point out to the fact that we got a lot better at uh, enforcement on an individual level. And then other communities around Reddit, um, our users were doing the enforcement, right? If you show up into, you know, ask Reddit, Ask Reddit is one of our largest communities. And, and, and if you're new to Reddit, it's, it's a place where I'd invite you to get started. Um, uh, people post thousands of questions every day that are completely you know, irreverent. Um, the one, one I saw the other day was, teachers of Reddit, um, what happened to that weird kid in your class? Um, and, and it's just like this incredible discussion and perspective that you, you wouldn't see in, in stories that you wouldn't see anywhere else online. Um, if, if somebody shows up into that community... He's doing a podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, if you show up in that community and, and, and start saying, you know, nasty stuff, you're going to get crushed long before we see it, right? You're going to get downvoted by normal users, you're going to get banned by mods, and, 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 and that'll be the end of it. So we all have roles to play in this, and I'm not claiming perfection by any means, um, but I, I do... Uh, I am proud of the, the progress that we are making. I think especially confronting what are, it's a little bit of a new frontier and a new set of challenges for us. I'm curious how many humans you have actually with the sole job of really trying to manage all of this. Dozens on our staff. So our staff is 400, um, about half, engineer, half engineering. Um, one of our largest teams collectively, the community, trust and safety, and anti-evil team make up a, a, a significant portion of our employees. Anti-evil team? An Anti-evil. Yes, that's the engineering team that um, you know, works behind the scenes, does this stuff at scale. But then, of course, it, it is, I, I, I do think, uh, both on Reddit and in the real world, um, we need to enable ourselves to, 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 to self-govern and to self-heal. Um, because we don't want the, the government deciding what you can and cannot say. And I'm sure you don't want a private company, uh, let alone me, deciding what you can and cannot say, or can and cannot think. I think that's very, very dangerous. It's time to take a quick break. We'll be back with Reddit co-founder and CEO, Steve Huffman. That's right after this. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. And now back to our conversation with Reddit CEO Steve Huffman live from the Aspen Ideas Festival. I want to ask you about this other challenge that you've had related to the presidential election. That was Russian interference and the proliferation of fake news. And by fake news, I mean <coughs> false stories, not stories the president doesn't like. The Internet Research Agency, which was aligned with the Kremlin, famously put fake news on Facebook, but they also put it on Reddit. Do you ever think, as a result of that, 
I contributed to the election of Donald Trump? So, uh, not as a result of that. I mean, we do Reddit. It, it is where grassroots movements start. Um, and we've seen it with our, our last three presidential elections. We were uh, very, very early on Obama. Um, it's those, as, you know, I, I'm obviously extremely biased because I was on Reddit all the time, but it was the first place where I, I learned of him. We were very early on Bernie Sanders, right, who's, who had a, a very um, vocal grassroots campaign in the U.S. And we were also early on Trump, who also had that kind of populist support. Uh, as it relates to Russia, uh, we published a couple of months ago everything we found. We've published all of the accounts that we found, everything they posted, and that's still online for, for our users, for journalists, for, for the government to, to investigate and see what's there. And we've been fully cooperative uh, you know, with the government uh, uh, behind the scenes this entire time. What we found, though, is the structure of Reddit largely worked. Of the uh, 900 or so accounts that we believe were compromised, um, a handful, fewer than 10, actually found any meaningful traction on Reddit. The vast majority were banned by moderators long before they said anything, you know, anything relevant. So there was some there, but there wasn't a lot of there there. The challenge, however, that we face, and, 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 I, and I need to continually remind people of this, that uh, when we talk about the president, 60 million people voted for that guy. Those weren't Russian bots. Those were real Americans. And... Um, but the question for, for, is, what ideas were the Russian bots putting into the minds of those Americans? I'm not suggesting yeah. that they were all manipulated by fake news. I'm simply saying, were they all making their decision on the basis of facts as opposed to fake news? Well, and, it's, you know, it's hard to say because I think fake news is a new word for propaganda, and propaganda is as old as politics. Um, and, and, and we've seen this, and, and, and we see this in our own you know, cable news channels, which are effectively the propaganda department for, for various political parties in the U.S. Um, this is a real issue we face, um, uh, not just on Reddit, not just on, on Twitter and Facebook, but I think a, a, as a people. But Russian interference was relatively unprecedented in this last election, it's, it's, so certainly you can't really compare sort of what you might term propaganda as espousing beliefs that would be supportive of a particular candidate or party with a foreign country actually interfering in our democratic process. I think the Russia thing is a real problem. On, on Reddit, because of the, the nature of Reddit, those accounts, those efforts, largely fell flat. Um, well, let's, let's talk about that. You said you have done and you're doing your best to identify and remove Russian bots, Russian propaganda. You said you've removed nearly a thousand Russian trolls from your site. Just mechanically, can you walk us through how you did that? How do you identify who's a Russian troll? How do you get that troll off of Reddit? Sure, there are, <clears throat> I, I don't want to get into the super specifics because these techniques are still valuable to us. Um, but wouldn't but, they help us as a nation if you did share those techniques? Um, well, let me share, let me share at, at, at a high level. So um, there is, there's information we get from, from our peers, right? Accounts that they found, uh, IPs that they found. We, as a, as a best practice of Reddit, we've done this long before the election and still do it now, um, have a variety of information sources. For example, there are gray hat hackers that basically, that we can get information from, and these are compromised VPNs, these are IPs, areas we should start looking. Um, from there, you can find a couple of accounts. Um, and by gray hat, you mean they, they would be willing to work for both sides? In a, in a way that a bad guy can acquire, um, you know, let's say there's a, a data breach, right? Equifax gets hacked, right? And, and they have all of this information. Uh, that information is getting sold to somebody. Sometimes it's getting sold to the good guys who can say, which of our, which, who has been compromised, right? And so that's very common, right? And you can go to these websites to see, has, is my information in there? Is my email information in there? Then we can look at behavioral things, right? And, and, this, and this is, these are techniques that, again, we've been doing for a long time at Reddit because we care about the integrity of our systems. You know, cookie hygiene, right? Are people sharing this account? Are people in multiple geographies sharing this account? Those things start to stand out. And so from there, we can build out a, 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 a web. And so, you know, we do it piece by piece by piece, and we grow, this, we grow this stuff out. So the stuff we shared a couple of months ago was everything we had found so far. Um, we are by no means, you know, done. This is, as I said before, Reddit's primary role in this is ensuring that our systems, the, the integrity of our systems. And so there is, you know, as, as we said earlier, an, an arms race element to this. And, and we're constantly learning and, and the challenges are constantly evolving. But it is an issue we take 
uh, incredibly seriously, both as Reddit and, and as Americans. I know that American Redditors who then promote or repeat or share the misinformation that is <clears throat> put out there by Russian bots, that's a thornier issue, isn't it? Well, it's I more mean, difficult, and that's where you believe user responsibility and our ability to discern fact from fiction or fake news from real news, is that's when that comes into play? I mean, if I were to make it even thornier, the president is, is, is repeating that nonsense as well. And so, I mean, we have to ask ourselves some serious questions. Like, what does it mean when the, the president is, 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 is propagating, you know, lies and fake news or whatever? Yes, that burden is on us. And I think we have a, a, some serious challenges in front of us. I'll bite. What does it mean? Well, I think one of the, the, the silver linings of all of this, I think of this, what, what I would call a challenging time, is that our immune system is being tested, right? And in the same way that your body gets a virus and, and you're sick for a couple of weeks and you eventually develop antibodies and can fight against it the next time, I think we as a people are going through the same thing. People care about quality journalism again. Um, people are much more skeptical than they have been in the past, I think. Um, our values are being tested. Um, your values don't mean anything until you use them. And, and, I, and I would say, I think we as, as, as Americans um, haven't, had to, haven't had to flex some of these, 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 these muscles in, in, in a little while. And, and so while the, the medicine doesn't taste good, uh, I, I think we will come out of this, I hope, you know, I'm, I'm an optimist. I think we will come out of it healthier on the other side uh, with a more skeptical population, with higher quality journalism, with higher standards of discourse. Um, but it doesn't feel good right now. So to, to awkwardly continue the metaphor, how strong is the body politic in 2018 as opposed to 2016? How vulnerable are we to all of these factors and forces this year? I mean, I, would, I, would, um, <clears throat> I often look to Reddit as a leading indicator of what's going to happen. So uh, in the 2016 election, if you spent any time on Reddit, Trump winning the election was uh, not exactly a surprise. Um, the engagement of, of the Trump supporters on Reddit in terms of voting on Reddit was five times higher than that of the Hillary supporters. So when I look at what's going on now um, on Reddit, the midterms, um, there are a number of communities galvanizing around the midterms. And, and what kind of communities? What are they called? Like, I think one's just called Blue Midterms. Uh, there's probably half a dozen or so, uh, midterm 2018. Um, How are they weighed in terms of red versus blue? Almost entirely blue. All of these new communities are in response to, hey, we, we cannot let our guard down, right? It is, we have to show up and actually vote. Um, I, I think, you know, even when you look at voter turnout, it's, it's, always, it's always dismal. And I think that's the, that's the largest opportunity we have going forward is, is taking all these people who now care, who now know what's at stake, and getting them to the polls. I have to ask you about uh, Charlottesville. Yeah, vote everyone. <laughs> um, as we mentioned, we both went to the University of Virginia. You graduated uh, just a couple of years after I did. <laughs> What's so funny? Um, I, now, on a serious note, I was in smack in the middle of that white supremacist rally in Charlottesville last August. And I know that was a real epiphany for you, wasn't it, Steve? Um, that was very difficult. Right? You know, I went to school in Charlottesville. I, I grew up about an hour from there. That is, that is very much my home. And it was incredibly painful to watch. <clears throat> and, and I still get emotional when I think about it. And, and, and for us, that's, we actually, we were in the process at the time of finding our voice. So in, in our content policies, we spent a lot of time debating these and, and choosing the right words. And so we were in the process um, prior to Charlottesville of, how do we talk about violence and inciting violence and, and, and what are the, the, the rules there? And then in Charlottesville happened and I actually had a very emotional reaction with my team where I was just like, just go ban all those people, right? We had banned the alt-right communities, I think a, a, a month or two before, but there were still kind of some fringy ones. And I was like, just, just ban them all. And fortunately, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not the sole decider you know, in these conversations and we have, um, we have actually quite a large team. It's, it's me, it's our, our, our GC who's in the audience, our head of policy, our head of trust and safety, um, debate these issues. Um, but Charlottesville, I think, was, was very clarifying for us and probably the country about like this sort of behavior should not be tolerated. 
And in fact, as a result, you updated your content policy, banning content that glorifies, incites, or calls for violence against an individual groups of people or animals. After noting that the previous rules that you, had, uh, you all had established had been too vague. And I'm curious, have you seen any positive uh, result from strengthening that policy? Sure. I mean, when the, the policies are always really important because it allows us to make decisions a lot faster. Right? And, and we're often kind of in this position where we're trying to reconcile what our policies say and what our gut tells us to do. And can we find a way to articulate uh, what our instinct is telling us to do in a way that can be enforced consistently and fairly? Because that is, 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 is very important, especially for a platform like us that is home to you know, views um, of incredible diversity. And consistency and enforceability is really important. But once we find those words, even if it's a couple of sentences, um, then we can go ham on these things, right? And, and we can be like, you're done, you're done, you're done, you're done. And that actually feels very good. But I guess the big question, as you mentioned earlier, Steve, is how do you control harmful speech without becoming a censor and violating the First Amendment? I mean, that it, there, therein lies the rub, right? Well, that is the challenge with the First Amendment. It is, it is one of the founding uh, principles you know, of this country, and it, it's, it's incredibly important to our democracy, the, the marketplace of ideas, and specifically supporting uh, political speech and, and, and debate. And so the way we think about it, and if you look at our content policy, it's largely structured around uh, behaviors and not beliefs. Beliefs are very diff difficult to police, and you are free to have whatever belief you like, both on Reddit and in the United States generally, um, but it's your behaviors we care about. And just like free speech in the United States, which does have restrictions, right? There's one about <clears throat> inciting violence, um, yelling fire in a crowded theater, slander and libel and false advertising. There are, in fact, many restrictions. Um, but political speech is very, very important and, and, and very critical. And, I, and on Reddit, we try to take our cues from the government in the same way. So our content policies, the things I shared before, harassing and bullying, inciting violence, those are behaviors. Um, those are more objective. Your, your, your beliefs, your political beliefs in particular, we do our best to, to keep that off limits. That doesn't mean we're not tested from time to time. And, and one of the, actually the big lessons I've learned over the last few years is when I came back to Reddit, I actually wanted to draw a, a fine line. This is good behavior, this is bad behavior. I've since learned that that is basically impossible. Right? Wherever that line is, somebody's going to walk right up against it and stick their nose over it. Instead, we accept that there is some gray area there, and that's where we spend our time. And so we, we define our content policies to define the, 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 the clear area, and then we spend our time as a team in the gray areas and figure out, is this, you know, is this on the right or wrong side of our content policy? Do we need to adjust our policies? This is a new behavior. And, and so it's a constant evolution. How do you think Facebook is doing handling the issue of <coughs> fake news and bots and privacy and all the stuff that's emerged since the election? I'll give you, I'll give you two answers. Um, one, I have some empathy for what Facebook is going through uh, in that I know they didn't build that platform for abuse. Right? They brought that platform for, for friends to connect, and they built an incredible business on top of it. Um, you know, in Zuckerberg's uh, congressional hearings talking about how AI is going to be the solution to all of their problems, I, I, I don't believe that. I think AI can help, computers can help, but as I said before, this is a, a, a people problem, and people do, we, humans share some of the burden. And one of the sayings we've had at Reddit for a long time is, is let humans do the hard part. Uh, I, I think as it relates to privacy, we are very different companies, right? Privacy to Reddit, that is in our DNA. We don't know your name. We don't know your gender, your age. Barely know your location because of your, you know, your, your computer tells us. Um, we don't want to know those things. We think that's really important. Both, we don't want the burden of, of, of personal information. We're not building a business off of selling your personal information. And we believe that people, uh, when they detach from their real-world identity and their names, can actually be more authentic. They can be more true to themselves. There are many facets of your personality uh, and, and you as a human that are not encapsulated in your name, right? Uh, on this stage, I'm Steve Huffman. I'm the CEO of Reddit. But there are many communities I spend time on on Reddit where I am not the CEO of Reddit, right? Like what? Uh, I'm not telling you. Um, <laughs> and that's important. Um, and, and, and because you can find it because you don't want to share everything. 
right? You know, uh, for, for example, a community I, I learned about uh, a couple days ago. So we do these, these moderator roadshows where we go around the country and we meet with our moderators to say thank you for what you do and to, and to put faces and names to, to, to the screen names that we've known for years. Um, I met this couple in London. They were a, an American and a, and a British person that, that had got married. They started a community called Still Trying. And this is for uh, couples that are trying to have a baby but struggling with it. And it's a place for them to, to vent, to support each other, to, you know, to go through this difficult time with other people like them. And, and you wouldn't find that on, on other platforms, especially associated with your name. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go talk about some of these really personal issues. And I think that's, that for, for us is what, when we talk about uh, are, we, are, we, are we proud of Reddit, we are certainly extremely proud to have, to have brought this out of people and to have created this enriching experience in a place where people can be themselves and be vulnerable and be authentic. And so that's really, that's what we deal in day to day. So, so you think we're going to get to the other side. In closing, there's so much information, a tsunami of information that sort of floods us every day that isn't verified or edited. In many cases, no fact checkers. And it's designed in, in many ways to foment outrage rather than understanding. So right now, where we are today, not on the other side as you're hoping we'll get, is this good or bad for our democracy? I, I am hesitant to make quick classifications of what is a really complex issue. I think that the fact for hundreds of years in, in, in the US that people can say anything and debate anything, that is the cornerstone of our democracy. The fact that we live in a time where uh, it's less of a debate, right, and, and, and more of a lowbrow, quick to judge, label everything, you know, identity, politics, all these things, that is bad for our democracy. And so how do we get back to the marketplace of ideas, uh, getting the most value out of free expression without uh, losing it? And, and that's one of the things I'm, I'm most scared about when we talk about fake news. How do we eliminate fake news without eliminating free speech and discussion and, and, and real debates. I think that is a real challenge. It's to end on a positive note, I think we do all have a role to play. I think as people, skepticism is really important. As, as, as journalists, being that uh, arbiter of truth is, is, plays a really important role. As a, as a technologist, ensuring that the conversation is, is, is fair, uh, and authentic is, is, is important as well. So I think if we all play our roles and, and do our jobs, that we will get back to a, a healthier place. Well, Steve Huffman, we really appreciate your honest and thoughtful discussion of these really challenging issues. Thank you so much for joining sure. us today. So, Brian, I thought that Steve Huffman was forthcoming, but... Obviously, there are a lot of challenges that make it a very imperfect system when it comes to monitoring hateful, disgusting, gross, or just fake content on Reddit, as it is on many other social media platforms. And that's why he's trying to make the case that the burden rests as much with the users as with the platform itself. I'm just not sure how much the public is going to accept that, because there are dangerous real-life consequences to the sort of speech that gets disseminated on social platforms like Reddit. I'm not sure people have the time or really want to put the effort in and really evaluating the credibility of some of the information that they're seeing. I mean, I think they should be skeptical, obviously, but is that really their job? I mean, that's an open-ended question. And there's also a chicken and egg open-ended question, which is, is the hate speech caused by the platforms that give them a, a forum, or was the hate speech always out there and is Reddit just bringing it to the fore or giving it more of a spotlight than otherwise it would have had? Well, I don't know. If it's B, I worry about sort of the contagious effect of hate speech and how it incites other people to be hateful. In other words, it kind of unleashes hate that's been sublimated in our psyches. I don't know. I'm getting too heavy, deep, and real right now. But <laughs> it was a very, very interesting conversation. And I appreciate the fact that he's willing to 
to field tough questions about his platform and about his business. And at least right now, we're a lot more aware of these issues than we were two years ago. There's much more of a focus on preventing fake news and hate speech from spreading. And so maybe that will have a positive impact. How's that for an attempt at a happy ending? (laughs) (laughs) Well, we'd like to thank the Aspen Ideas Festival again for having us. Special thanks to Kitty Boone and Zach St. Louis for all of their help. And thanks to Gianna Palmer, Nora Ritchie, and Jared O'Connell, our team at Stitcher, who helped make this show happen week after week. We'd also like to thank Beth DeMaz and Allison Bresnik, who help with the pod from their posts over at Katie Couric Media. Also, I wanted to say a quick thank you to Eliza from Costas. Costas from the University of Virginia, who's now working at the Aspen Institute, who helped make sure that we made it to the studio and, of course, that Brian found the bathroom. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and she has a wonderful first name, by the way. Oh, right. Just like your little girl. Anyway, Brian and I are the executive producers around here. Mark Phillips wrote our theme music. Have you subscribed to our show yet? Shame on you if you haven't. (laughs) Yes, we're really into shaming people here. Uh, Have you left a rating at Apple Podcasts? Shame on you for that, too. (laughs) We'd love it if you would do both of these things. It really helps us out. In the meantime, we would like to say thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much. Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.